Cool. You good? I'm good. Who's right for top 10 tonight? Anybody right? Yeah? All right. We're going to have to do a Thanksgiving top 10 this week. Yeah. Yeah. But what do we got for, you know, for, I mean, like for Friday. So what do we got for our top 10 this week? For this week, um, it's, uh, it goes for landlords. Okay. Landlords. So if you've ever rented or maybe we're a landlord. <laughs> are we going to pick on our landlord yes. with this? Yes. Excellent. Yes. Excellent. If you are a landlord, please <laughs> take five minutes and go to the so bathroom. We know, no. we know that there's a lot of crazy landlords out there. Yes. Probably some of them here. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. Yeah, there might be some here. All right. But uh, tonight's top ten is top ten hints your landlord might be might nuts. Might be nuts. Okay. All right. There we go. Might be my son's landlord because they might be a little crazy. They might be a little they crazy. They might be a little crazy. Yeah, All right. Here I we go. Agree. Top ten signs. Okay. What Preston, do we have? You ready? Okay. Number ten hint that your landlord is nuts. He will only let you have 20 watt bulbs so he doesn't have to paint. <laughs> There you go. 20 watt bulbs. So, yeah, so you, you know. can't see bright enough if it's yeah. dirty? Okay, I got you. It's cool. It's cool. That, okay. That's all you need. That's all you need? That's all you need, really. <laughs> that and to wash your walls, but that's a whole other <laughs> issue. All right. Number nine, hint that he's a little crazy. He thinks he can levy taxes and raise armies like all the other titled lords he's read about. <laughs> no, that, that time's passed. That time's passed. You can't do no, that? You can't do that anymore. I no. need to raise your taxes. And, <laughs> and raise an army. I'm and building an no. army. Yeah. I need the taxes. Yeah. No. Number eight, hint that he's a little crazy. Your lease is written in crayon, in triplicate. Wow. Wow. <laughs> lease is like, good idea. That? All right. Like... Val, is your lease written in crayon? Because then we need to talk to Brian. Okay. All right. Okay. That's all right. a little crazy. Pretty little sure. Crazy. All right. I'm talking to Barb. All right. Here we go. <laughs> Number seven hint that your landlord's nuts. Your landlord invited you to Christmas dinner on July 4th. That, that might be an issue. That might... Yeah. That's not quite. I think how that it goes. might have happened. Wrong holiday. Wrong holiday. Completely wrong. Yeah. But you can have Christmas in July. You can have Christmas in July, but you can't have July 4th and Christmas. That's correct. It doesn't work. It doesn't work that nope. way. Nope. It's cold. It's too cold for that. Number six, sign your landlord's nuts. He complains about all the loud thinking going on in the building. <laughs> <laughs> no. to keep it down. Keep it down. Keep it, keep it down. Keep it low. Oof. Oof. All right. Number five sign is little nuts. He doesn't make his cousin Vinny split the rent when he uses your place as a safe house. <laughs> wow. Wow. Maybe I need to move. Yeah, I think so. First of all, cousin, a cousin Vinny is, is a sign that, yeah. So. You probably should move. You should probably move. Number four sign that he's a little crazy. Lease prohibits pets, but allows extraterrestrials. Okay. Well, that's important. That's it's just. You get no, no cats or dogs, but if you have an alien, you're good. That's right. But, that's good. But if ET e. comes home, you're good. If you have Alf, you do have to feed him. Remember, he likes to eat cats. Remember that. Yeah, he got plenty of cats at the farm. Okay. Remember right. Alf? Nobody remembers. I, Alf. I remember Alf. I just don't remember him <laughs> eating cats. He loves cats. I missed Number that part. Number three, that he's a little crazy. He wants his rent paid on a daily basis because he thinks the end of the world is coming. There you go. There you go. Can I have my three dollars and fifty cents? Yeah, that, whatever. I need that dropped off. I need that dropped off. I need that I dropped need to off. Put that in the bank. <laughs> it all adds up. Every day you're writing a check. <laughs> Number two, sign your landlord's a little off. The on-site security surveillance he's charging you for is really just him peeking through your living room window. Oh, oh. <laughs> yep, everything's good. Yikes! Yikes! That is so sketch. All safe here. Wow. <laughs> Wow, I don't even know what to do with that one. You should move. Yeah. You should move. Yeah, yeah. 
I don't think yeah, that's good. That's not good. That's not good. And the number one sign that you... Oh, he keeps calling you Jack and wonders where Janet and Chrissy are. Oh! <laughs> come and knock on my door. I've been waiting for you. Okay, there yeah. we go. Okay. I was lost there for like half a second until somebody said three company. I'm like, Three's company, oh, that's right. I remember the jingle. I got that. Yeah. Okay, all right, cool. That was a good show. That There was always a misunderstanding. That I'm always. not sure that was a good show. No, I'm not sure it was a good show. It wasn't a good show? No, I, yeah, I, I watched it. But if you watch it now, you're like, this yeah. is dumb. All right, I, so. I like it. I yeah. like it. Yeah, well. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and pray, Justin. All right, please join me. Heavenly Father, we just uh, come before you tonight, excited for what you have for us out of the Gospel of Luke. Father, we thank you for this eyewitness account where we can come and we can just dive into it and we can learn more about you and more about your story so we come to know more about our story. And so, Father, we pray tonight that you would open our hearts and our minds to your truth and that you would speak directly to us. And it's in your precious and holy name that we pray and all of God's people said. Amen. Buckle up and hold on. At our church, we love God. Make no mistake about that. At our church, we believe in God's radical, unconditional, and unwavering love for us. At our church, we believe that Jesus is God. We also affirm that you may or may not believe that Jesus is God. And we're not asking you to change your belief system before you attend our church. We're simply inviting you on a journey toward Jesus. For years, churches have placed a high priority on Jesus as the get-out-of-hell-free card. At our church, we place the highest priority on Jesus as a live-life-to-the-fullest invitation. At our church, we believe every person has a dream deep inside their hearts, and that God put that dream there, not for our glory, but for His. At our church, we're not concerned with where you've been, but where you're going. At our church, we believe that the Bible is God's Word. It is real. It is living. It is active. We believe that people who don't go to church anywhere are not the enemy. They are real people who need the perfect love that only God can give. And we believe that God gives this love through, of all people, us. At our church, we do not and we will not display a holier-than-thou attitude toward anyone. We are all broken people, but He is putting us back together. And finally, and most importantly... At our church, we believe that Jesus really lived, that he really died on the cross, and that he really rose again on the third day. And we cannot and we will not candy coat or water down that message, ever. Today, you've chosen to sit yourself in the middle of a very safe place to hear a potentially dangerous message. Welcome to our church. Are you guys ready for tonight? Okay, cool. Because I know that um, um, this is a really busy week and we got a lot of stuff coming up and just in our own lives around here. Um, but you guys have made it here. So I, I take that as an all in. You guys are all in for tonight because you're here and uh, I'm here. So I'm all in. So um, uh, let's do some church. All right. So um, like just what at your table, just so you guys know what you, what you guys have. Um, we're going to be in the book of Luke. There's Bibles there. Uh, you can track along with version. Also, speaking of uh, smartphones, please download the app. If you haven't already and you need some IT help, I'm going to just nominate Preston right now as an IT specialist to help you download that app if you are like, I can't figure this thing out. 
And I'm going to see there's <laughs> you got your first customer, Preston. You do it after service. Do it after service. <laughs> um, be checking that app, guys, because we're going to put a lot of stuff up there. Um, a lot of changes and stuff are going to come uh, through that app. Um, but it's yeah, just go ahead and, and uh, get get familiar with that. We're still playing around with it. It's it's in it's in the works. Um, but um, last this last month's been really, really cool uh, through breakthrough. Uh, this eyewitness account that we have read through about Jesus and and just starting this thing. Um, and I know the first week we we took our time and looked at who wrote this thing, who commissioned the book of Luke, who um, got it to to happen and, and found Luke to write this thing. Then I know in week two, we jumped and fast forwarded to, to uh, chapter three and that kind of wigged us out. And then week three, we came back on track. So here's some good news for week four. We're still on track, all right? So all those OCD people that like to count one, two, three, we're, st- we're, we're still on track, all right? Week four is no different. And we, we, we saw a lot of cool stuff in the first three weeks. We see everything that Jesus is just breaking through, right? This series is really holding up to its name because uh, so far God's done some cool stuff. L- well, like just last week. We saw that that God broke through age, right, with Zechariah and his wife, Elizabeth. He breaks through age and he breaks through human doubt to bring about a child, right, to bring about John the Baptist. And last week, um, Zechariah is praying there in the temple. Remember that? Uh, he's waited his entire life. This is his only shot to do this. He's standing there and um, he's to be praying for the nation of Israel. But he does something a little different. He's got something that's been weighing on his life for a while. Most of his adult married life, right? His wife is unable to have a child. So he's just praying for this. And then all of a sudden, Gabriel meets him right there in the temple, right? Just kind of just shows up and says, hey, God has heard everything. Um, and uh, he, he's going to give you a son, right? And and Zechariah kind of had this 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 weird question that he rolls out, right? Well, how can I be sure that this is going to happen? And then Gabriel kind of, kind of stands up to him and, and gives him a what for and takes his voice, right? Remember that, a what for, I'll give you a what for. The angel told him that God will have, that he will have a son and, and Zechariah inquired about this. So it's kind of a bittersweet moment for Zechariah, right? He finds out he's going to be a dad, that's cool. And then he loses his voice. That's not so cool. And then he gets to come home and he meets with Elizabeth and she finds out she's going to be a mom, right? And that her husband doesn't have a voice. So it's two sides of the same coin for her. It's not bittersweet at all. She gets to live nine months without, without Zechariah's uh, voice in the house, right? Not so bittersweet for her. And she's like, this is cool. It's like a vacation. I can handle this. Well, maybe not. So tonight we, we continue our journey and we pick up right where we left off, right after Zechariah, all right? And Luke records something really cool for us tonight. So are you guys ready for it? Yeah. All right. So go ahead and silence the cell phones. Just take a moment and silence those puppies. All right. Let's focus up and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you've called us here. We thank you that you've written this book. We thank you that uh, all these moving parts that you have orchestrated throughout space and time has just led to this moment, led to this day that we can read your word. Um, and all the things that your word has broken through uh, just to get to us today. 
So God, we ask that you would bless it tonight. We ask that your Holy Spirit would fill this room up and and uh, teach us. And it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Luke chapter one, verse 26 says this. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her. For if you ha- for you have found favor with God, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Lo- of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, But how can this happen? I'm a virgin. The angel replied, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For the word of God will never fail. Mary Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. That's where we're going to stop. That's where we're going to camp. Seems kind of familiar, doesn't it? Seems kind of familiar just looking at last week that John the Baptist, his birth announcement was kind of in a similar way. But for a lot of reasons, it's different. Right. It's if for a lot of reasons, the two stories take kind of a different path. And and that's what we're going to look at. Luke records both of them. So they're kind of paralleled right next to each other. We get John the Baptist and Gabriel gives that one. Right. He gets to come in front of Zechariah and tell Zechariah God's going to bless him with a child. And then Gabriel again is chosen to go in front of Mary and tell her that God's going to bless you with a child. So we see right there that they're that they're pretty similar we got kind of the same players. We got Gabriel. See, Gabriel met with Zechariah in June. Remember last week he met with Zechariah there in the temple in June. We kind of calced it out and kind of figured it out. So let's add six months to that, give or take, right? We got, he's got to go home and then, and, um, uh, you know, take her out to dinner and, and, um, be chivalrous and all that good stuff. And then we see here in our passage that, that, Gabriel comes to Mary six months into Elizabeth's pregnancy. So we can kind of count this out that we're right around January. All right. Maybe middle towards the end of January. Okay. And this is all going to come together in a few more weeks. And it's all very important. So let's just keep building this timeline. So this birth announcement, it's very humble. Right off the bat, it's very humble. We see the angel come to Mary. And Gabriel is sent. And where does Gabriel meet Mary? Right there in Nazareth. Right? And then it also kind of tells us that she's engaged to Joseph. But we got to understand a little something. That engagement in Jewish culture 2,000 years ago is a little different than our engagement today. It's, it's completely different. In fact, they're, they're a lot different. See, engagement is much like our marriage is. 
When we think of engagement, we think of, oh, we just, we popped the question and he set it all up and, um, there was this big, uh, flash dance that kind of happened and, and all the friends and family were invited and he videotaped it and put it on YouTube and it went viral. But that's, that's, that, that's our engagement. Joseph and Mary's engagement is a little different, right? The engagement began with a contract that was drawn up either by the groom's parents or a friend of the groom. And then this contract, was given to the groom and the groom would present it to the bride with his family and her family all in the same area. And the groom's family would present the bride's family with jewelry. So that's a little similar to ours, right? You got the ring that you get down on one knee and give the engagement ring. You're presenting jewelry men, right? Or you should be. You got to spend a little more than Cracker Jack money. So so the the jewelry is given to the bride's parents. Then... Uh, they would look at this contract and they would agree to it. The groom would pour a cup of wine, hand it to or, or take a drink and then hand it to the bride. The bride has a, has a decision to make. If I don't drink this, then I'm not entering into this contract and the two families are not coming together. But if I do drink this, then I am agreeing to this contract and we will be engaged. So that's kind of what what engagement looks like. And when the, you drink this wine both the groom and the bride and you enter into this relationship you're entering into a legal covenant right the relationship is now legally binding it's like marriage right you are legally married in the eyes of jewish law in the eyes of god so if the groom dies before the wedding the bride would be considered a widow right i mean the the bride-to-be would be considered a widow the only difference between marriage and engagement back here, 2,000 years ago, was the physical intimacy. During engagement, there was none. When you are married and you lived under the same roof, there was physical intimacy. So right here, we see that Mary and Joseph are engaged to be married. So they're right there in that legally binding contract. They just haven't been physically intimate. So Mary is currently living in Nazareth, as our passage says. It's a small village in Galilee. This is a small town. All right. Think of small town. This is small town Israel. The town is full of blue collared workers and farmers, people that raised and, and and just made a living working the land. Right. A lot of hard work goes into this town. And it's a place where average people just want to provide simple lives for their families. It's just really, really small town. Everybody knows your name and they're always glad that you came. Right. It's one of those places. But the point is, God chooses an average small town filled with average people to show the great lengths that he would, he would go to in order to identify with humble people. He wants to identify with humble people. He wants to identify with average people. Notice he doesn't go to a bustling city that is just full of, of commerce and trade and, and the economy is booming and everybody's rich. But notice he doesn't go to a completely poor city. He goes to it's just average, just average, nothing special about this town. And in fact, God chooses Mary. He calls Mary a favored woman, right? Gabriel comes to her and says, you're, you're favored. You are favored, Mary. This is not because Mary was perfect. All right. We have to understand something here. Favored in God's eyes is not because we're perfect. It's something a little different. In fact, 
in fact, um, we see this and we know that that's not the case because Mary is confused and disturbed, right? Well, he just called me a favored woman and I'm a little confused about that. I'm trying to get what you mean because I'm not quite sure. What do you mean I'm favored? She had no idea what the angel was talking about. What, me? Are you sure you got the right house? Are you talking about me? You, you, you didn't mean to go over next door, right? You, you got me. No, you're favored, Mary. See, in fact, favored in the Greek here is not an adjective. In our English language, favored is an adjective. It's, it's to describe something, right? It describes somebody's character. It describes who you are in somebody else's sight. But favored here in the original Greek is, in fact, a verb. But that doesn't fit in our passage, does it? A favor doesn't, it's, it's a verb. What do you mean? See, it's describing an action that is being taken. And in fact, it's describing two actions. All in the same, all in the same boat. So here it is. Favored in the Greek is, go ahead and say it together. There you go. Which means to make graceful or to pursue with grace. Favored means to make graceful. Or to pursue with grace. Again, this is not describing who Mary is. It's got a twofold action here. It's a double action. There are two actions taking in this one sentence. We simply read that Mary was perfect, right? She's favored. God loves her. God chose her because she's perfect. But that's, that's a little different. She was graceful and therefore favored in God's sight. But that would mean that she was chosen to carry the Son of God because of the efforts she made, wouldn't it? Well, see, this action is different. There's an action being taken by God, and then there's an action on the other side that Mary is taking, all in this same word. See, we are favored. We are favored because God is in the process of making us full of His grace. All right? And that's what's happening here. God is making Mary full of his grace. So she's favored. Then that's the action taken by God. In fact, here's Ephesians. um, I'll just read it to you because I don't see it. Ephesians chapter one, verse five says this. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do. And it gave him great pleasure So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. See, God is in the process of making Mary full of grace and us. And in return, Mary is pursuing all options with grace. Just like us. See, in fact, this same word favored shows up in our passage that I just read to you right in this phrase. We praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us. That's the same word favored that Luke uses. The grace that he has poured out. So this double action, God is in the process of pouring out his grace on us. That's why we're favored. That's why Mary's favored. And then in return, we see in this in this whole story that at the end of it, Mary says, whatever you have for me, I'll do it. That's. If that's not graceful, I don't know what it is, right? That is completely humble. Like, okay, let's go. I'm I'm game. So those two, that double action is being taken there. But what about Joseph, right? Because, because Joseph, his story is recorded in Matthew, right? We see Mary's story, but what about Joseph? 
And that's what we want to look at right now. See, Matthew records this from Joseph's perspective. This is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, virgin, she became pregnant through the whole the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message throughout his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. But he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born. And Joseph named him Jesus. So kind of the same way. See, Joseph's story fills out a little more context to this whole thing, right? Because you you can't just come to Mary, right? God just can't come to Mary and say, hey, you're going to have a kid. You kind of have to clue in the guy she's engaged to, right? You kind of have to clue him in because if if he's clueless and he's he's wondering... And we see in our passage that, that right there the angel says, hey, don't worry, it's actually God's kid that she's carrying. So just clear all those doubts out and all those worries. See, Joseph is engaged to Mary, right? We, we know that. We see it in both Luke and we see it in both Matthew. And remember, it takes an actual divorce to break this engagement. So Joseph is thinking about this. He's been contemplating this. He knows his wife-to-be is pregnant, and he's kind of, he's he doesn't know what to do here. He, he's kind of caught in, in this, the middle of this no-win situation. My wife's pregnant. It's not mine. But I'm not going to break it publicly. I'm going to break it quietly. I'm going to do it quietly. That means he's going to do it outside of the public view. He's going to do it just between him and her. And no big deal. Let's let's just let's just go our separate ways. See, by doing that, by doing it privately, Joseph would be saving Mary any embarrassment, any extra embarrassment, right? Because a woman in Mary's sandals, who's engaged to be married and is pregnant with someone else's child, would be considered an adulterer, right? She's an adulterer, a person who broke the covenant of marriage. And it would have been in Joseph's legal right to divorce her. And she could face public shaming. And that might include stoning. We see in Luke chapter 20, or Luke, Leviticus chapter 20. If a man commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, both the man and the woman who have committed adultery must be put to death. It's within Joseph's legal right to do this. But Joseph wants to do the right thing. That's why he's been contemplating this. Not really saying anything out loud, not really telling and gossiping to his neighbors or to his family or to her family, but he's contemplating this to himself, not really telling anybody, which is a good thing. He wants to do the right thing. He didn't know if it was good to stay with her or leave. He thought and prayed, and I believe that's why Gabriel came, not to kind of fill him in on some stuff that God's doing, but to give him the right answer. Hey, I know you've been thinking about this. God knows you've been thinking about this, but 
it's okay. Stay. I know you've been kind of going back and forth. Do I leave? Do I stay? I'll do it privately. No, I want you to stay. Because if we have learned anything in the last few months around here, it's that God answers prayers. Right? And God answers Joseph's prayer. See, Joseph is a man of conviction and character. And he remained so throughout these questionable situations. He wants to do the right thing. He stayed even though there would be questions from neighbors. He stayed even though he had the legal right to leave. He stayed even though he was asked to raise someone else's son. Those aren't easy things to overcome. Those aren't easy hurdles to jump through. But Joseph's character is strong because it's built on what matters. It's built on things that are true. And I think that's a family trait. I think that conviction and that character is a strong family trait. To do the right thing even when the odds are stacked against you. See, Jesus is confronted with some Pharisees. Right? Jesus was raised by Joseph, a man of conviction and character. So these Pharisees accuse a woman who is caught in adultery. Right there, Jesus in the middle of teaching everybody, and he's got a crowd, and the Pharisees drag, literally, literally drag this lady in and just throw her in front of Jesus. He's in the middle of doing something, and then the Pharisees interrupt. But they want to catch Jesus in a no-win situation. Here's what they ask him in chapter 8, John chapter 8. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? Well, he doesn't say anything at this point. He bends down. He gets, he just stoops down and starts drawing in the dirt, right? He just starts tracing stuff in the dirt with his finger. Um, and the Pharisees are not leaving. They keep pestering him and begging him to answer this question. They keep bringing it to him. No, what do you say? Come on. Come on, Jesus. You got to answer this question. So this is what Jesus says. All right. But let the one who is, is without sin throw the first stone. Okay, so uh, he answered it, and the Pharisees slowly leave, one by one, from the oldest to the youngest. Right? They just they just leave. See, I think Jesus immediately thought of his mother, and immediately thought what his father did when Mary is in this situation. In the eyes of, of society and the, and the court of public opinion, right? I think Jesus goes back and says, no, no, I know exactly what it feels like to be raised by somebody accused of this. So that's why I say it's a family trait. This conviction and character that Joseph exercises is a family trait that he passes on to his son. See, this birth announcement is very important. This foretelling of Jesus' birth, as told from Mary and Joseph, they're filled with similarities right off, right between the two of them, Mary and Joseph. Both Mary and Joseph have the same reaction to what Gabriel is telling them. And I also see that, that they're consistent, that they brought up their son with the same character of each of them, Mary being full of grace and Joseph being full of character. Both impart these things to their son, Jesus. We see that in both accounts. Gabriel shows up and what, is, what, is, what does he tell them, both of them? He says, don't be afraid. 
I know, I know this is kind of weird. Joseph in a dream and Mary right there. Don't be afraid. And I don't know about you, but I would be shaking, right? If, if Gabriel, I mean, yeah, if he just shows up and he starts talking to me, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of scared. What I do now? Um, I'd feel like I'm called to the principal's office, right? Not only did an angel come and speak to me, but God just gave me a piece of information that is totally going to change my life. It's completely different. My mind would be swimming. And I, for one, can connect with Joseph. I know what he's feeling. Not that when an angel comes to me, because I've never had that happen, but uh, I know what he's feeling because he's a guy that just found out he's about to be a dad, right? And I know what that feels like. And I know we have that in common, whether you're a first-time dad or a fourth-time dad. There's still fear and doubt that go through your mind as dads, as a parent, right? There's fear and doubt. You can't tell me that the moment you found out you were going to be a parent, you didn't have a little question. Do I have what it takes? Can I provide? I don't have a good enough job. I don't have a job. How am I going to take care of this person? This tiny mini me, right? Doubts cross any parent's mind. Throughout the entire, I'm, my, my oldest is nine and there's still doubts, right? There's, there's no manual. But see, fear is an element of every good story. Fear is an element in every good story we read, every good story we see on the screen. We love being on the edge of our seats. And we love that in our life. Right? I mean, life would be boring without some element of fear. A little bit. We love a good story. Wondering if the hero has what it takes to overcome this evil and triumph. Either they got what it takes. Can they do it? I don't think they got what it takes, right? We like that. But something separates a good story from a great story. And that's faith. Fear is an element of every good story, but the addition of faith separates good from great. In each account that we read tonight, Faith was present. Faith is an element that was woven throughout perfectly, both in Luke and in Matthew. And it wasn't out there just blatantly like, oh, Mary had the faith, so that's why God chose her. And it wasn't in Joseph's just smack you in the face with Joseph was a man of faith. That's why he stayed. No, they had fear. Each one of them had fear. But then at the end of the night, at the end of Gabriel's message, they decided to take that deep breath and do whatever God had for them. Faith was there. Joseph was convicted enough to stick with Mary through this. He fought past his worries of the future to do the right thing. And I admire that in him. Through God, Joseph was able to find himself. He knew that doing the right thing was going to be hard. That doing the right thing was the right thing. Right? Galatians, Paul says this in Galatians, so let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. He does the right thing, even though when it's tough, it's recorded as this, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. Okay, I'll do it. Sometimes doing the right thing requires this element of faith. 
Because it's not always easy, is it? Sometimes doing the right thing is not at the right time, is it? But there is never, ever a wrong time to do the right thing. There is never a wrong time to do the right thing. Joseph is faced with something big here. It wasn't wrong to do the right thing there. Mary's story, on the other hand, is paralleled with Zacharias, right in the book of Luke. Faith was present in, present in both circumstances between Zechariah and, and Mary. But they're a little different. Zechariah and Mary's reactions are a little different. Zechariah doubted, and he asked Gabriel, How can I be sure this will happen? How can I be sure? He doubted, and in that split second, he asked for proof that the miracle would be possible. Right? I know there's a giant angel standing in front of the throne room of God, the actual temple of God. And the angel is telling me that I'm going to be a dad, and I'm going to ask the angel, well, prove it. How do I know it's actually going to happen? I don't know. I'm standing here. I mean, <laughs> do I come to you every day? No. In fact, I don't. Right? He just said, well, prove it. I need some proof. Then for Mary, she just rolls with it. She asks a similar question, but doesn't let, uh, th- doesn't let her, her need for proof to, to win out. Her question looks like this. But how can I know? How can this happen? How can I know for sure this will happen? Zechariah, Mary, how can this happen? They look similar, but they're different. Mary's question is very innocent. Almost like a child asked it, isn't it? Well, it's because many scholars believe that Mary could be as young as 12, maybe 14. Her question is innocent because she is a child. So, yes, this is a very simple, innocent, humble question to ask an angel. How can this happen? How I'm still a virgin. I don't I don't know how a person could get pregnant without that. The questions look the same, but they're different. Zechariah's question comes from a place of doubt. Prove to me that this will happen. I need proof. I need proof, Gabriel, that this will happen when I get home. But Mary's question comes from a place of belief that God will do everything he says he will do. She just wants to know the mechanics of the miracle. That's all. I just want to know how this thing's going to happen because that doesn't sound possible. So one is asking how he will perform a miracle and the other asking, the other one is asking, can I be sure that you are going to perform this miracle? Which leads us to the fact that believing in God is a little different than believing God. It's a little different. They look the same, but it's a little different. It's not a big deal to believe God. It's really not. In fact, if you ask a bunch of people without qualifying who God is or or what God is, do you believe in God? Most are going to answer yes. Yes. Well, then when you ask what God do you believe in, that's where things go a little different, right? But believing God means taking God at his word. Believing in God is easy. Believing God is a little different. When God says what he says in scripture and in our life, we got a, we got a, we got an opportunity. Am I just believing in God or do I believe God? See, it's just a matter of faith. 
isn't it? Remember what separates every good story from a great story is that element of faith. And it's a simple choice. God will lay out in front of each and every one of us a path. In fact, he's already done it. A path that we just get to walk down. We have to decide and choose to put one foot in front of the other and just travel down this path God has laid out. On this path, there are risks. There are adventure. There's going to be challenges. There's going to be ups, moments of of praise on the mountaintop, and then there's going to be downs. Moments where we're going to be like, man, can this day get any worse? There's going to be twists and turns. We never quite know what we have in front of us, but God has laid out a path in front of each, each, everybody. And God will bring about adventure in our life. All we have to do is just choose it. We just got to choose it. Don't let fear separate your story from a great one. All right? We just have to choose it. Every day is something new. Mary chooses faith. Zechariah chooses faith. It just took him a little bit longer. Joseph chooses faith. The point is, there are going to be moments in our life when we have to intentionally, intentionally choose faith. It's not going to be easy. But is it the right thing? Yeah, remember, it's never wrong to do the right thing. We have to intentionally choose it. And what we believe will dictate how we live. Do I just believe in God? Because if I do, then my life is just really unmoved. What God do I believe in? But if I believe in God, then I need to ask the next question. Do I believe God? Well, now how you answer that kind of determines what your path is going to look like, doesn't it? Don't just fill in the blank. Guys, don't just fill in the blank and go, yes, I believe God. But let that question sit. Let that question marinate. Be vulnerable to that question. Because if you fill in the blank, you're just, you're just assuming that you're ready for it. But if you're vulnerable, you know that you're ready. Because if the answer is yes, I believe God. I believe what God says and I believe what God says about me. I believe those things then how is your life being shaped by that belief? And the desire for proof, just as a side note, the desire for proof in our life when God says, these are the things I have for you, that's just fear masking itself in knowledge. God, how how can I know that this is going to happen? See, fear is the factor that determines whether we believe in God or that we just believe God. Guys, church, adventure is just around the corner. Our path that, that is laid out in front of us, just like Mary's path, just like Zechariah's path, adventure is right there. Mary believed. Mary was in the process of believing and pursued all options in front of her. Remember that word favored. Remember that 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 word favored means that God is pouring out grace upon Mary and that Mary is pursuing adventure with grace. Not only did God pour out that amazing grace on Mary, 
But Mary said, yeah, I'm ready for that. I'm ready for that adventure. To raise the Son of God? I could do it. Whatever you say, just let it happen. No idea that he would be ridiculed and crucified and take a servant's approach to rescuing the entire human timeline. No idea that that stuff would happen. She just went for it. Not knowing all the details of this miracle. She just said, okay, I'm, I'm ready for it. She jumped in head first and was ready for anything. Now, how beautiful is that? To have Mary, just simple, innocent Mary in the town of Nazareth go, yeah, I can do that. I can do that. Pursue the adventure. Joseph was not afraid to do the right thing either. He just went for it. He decided that, you know what? I'm ready. Let's go. So guys, no longer will we let fear dictate and steal our grace. All right? Hesitation only removes and delays adventure. Remember Zachariah's hesitation? It just delayed the adventure that he has. He he eventually gets to go through that adventure and gets to live and go right where God wants him to go, but it delays it. Pursue the adventure of God with grace. Pursue the adventure with God with character. Let's remember that. We are and have been a community of people that have always loved adventure. Right? Here in this in this community, just look around. We don't shy away from an adventure, do we? We kind of we might question, like, are you sure this is what you got for us? What's behind door number two? Because door number one's a little sketchy. But we usually settle on door number one because that's the one God opens. This is nothing new. So, guys, let's keep doing that. See, something makes us come alive. And that's going to be different for each and every one of us. It's going to be different. But find that something that makes you come alive. Whatever that is, find it and then pursue it with grace. Let's be intentional in chasing life. Let's just not let it happen. Joseph doesn't let it happen. Okay, I can raise this child as my own. Don't let life happen, but be intentional. Go after it. Go knocking, go shaking trees, go looking for that adventure, go looking for new opportunities. Being intentional means inviting people to join us on this journey too, right? Not just, well, whatever God wants to bring and whoever God wants to bring in with us, that's cool with me. But being intentional in living life means, hey, I know something that would be really good for you. Why don't you come with me to church? Right? Why don't you, why, just, just join me one, one Tuesday, one Friday. It's no big deal. Just join me in this journey. But we have to be intentional. It means taking each new thing from God with grace and humility. Right? That's not always easy, is it? Grace and humility. It's not always easy. But it's good. It's possible. And we saw that it happens here. So does that sound okay? All right. So God is good. All the time. All right, guys. Here's some group discussion questions. There's three of them in case you find one of them really easy. So you can just keep moving on. 
Do you find yourself believing in God more than you believe God? All right. Do you believe God has a plan and purpose for you? And how can community help in your pursuit of God's adventure with grace? All right? So right there at your table, we're going to talk about this life of adventure. And if you want to, talk about some of the fears that are standing in the way of this life of adventure. All right? So take the bull by the horns, tables, groups of four, five, or six. Go for it. Balcony. Um, get together in a group and go for it. All right, guys?